Sean shared a few moments ago about our core values as a church being rooted and welcoming and loving, redemptive and generous. And um, our hope as a church is that as we fulfill our mission and vision and we become this outpost of hope that the, the people we partner with, not just in Lebanon, but around the world, are able to create those same places that are welcoming and redemptive and rooted and loving and generous. And uh, we got word here the end of this week that Haitian Christian Outreach, one of our partners that we've been working with for a number of years, uh, is really experiencing some tremendous hardship right now. It's not financial hardship, um, but if you've paid any attention, the climate in Haiti is extremely difficult right now. Uh, violence and threats of violence and threats of kidnapping. And basically what's happened is that some of the long-term medical staff at the hospital that Haitian Christian Outreach has started in Peridot, Haiti, have decided to leave the country um, because it's just too dangerous for them and for their families. And so it puts Haitian Christian Outreach and their ministry at just a difficult place right now. And they just ask that the churches that support them would pray for them. And because we partner with them to continue to shed his light in this world and to be hope, I thought we could take just a few moments uh, to pray. Uh, we'll give a few moments of silence here and you can pray and ask God for help for Haitian Christian Outreach. And then I will, I will pray out loud. Father, we thank you for hearing our cries, and, and I do ask that over the coming days that as you bring Haiti to mind, that we would offer up uh, prayers on behalf of the Haitians and on behalf of Haitian Christian Outreach. Um, anyone in this room or that's watching online or listening that's been to Haiti knows just how beautiful the people of Haiti are. And yet, Father, we are reminded of how when hearts stray from you, uh, when sin uh, is allowed to just run in our lives, it, it ruins life. And the people in Haiti have been oppressed, they've been victimized, they've been hurt. And, and God, some who don't know you are lashing out. And it's making it hard to continue for those that strive to remain faithful. And so, God, I pray and we pray for resilience for your people in Haiti. Uh, we pray specifically for resilience and strength for the staff of Haitian Christian Outreach and other organizations that are seeking to shine your light into a dark place. Uh, we pray that you would work. We know you've worked through earthly rulers uh, throughout the history of humanity, and we pray that you would work to bring stability to Haiti, that more people might know you and might come face to face with the God who loves them and knows them and died for them. God, would you bring again to mind Haiti uh, in the coming days so we can keep praying for people that matter just as much to your heart as we do. And God, we trust you, uh, we love you, and we know you'll move. In your name we pray, amen. 
I've noticed as I watch um, like home renovation shows, remodel shows, that uh, mosaics are making a comeback. If you're not familiar with a mosaic, it's where you take multiple pieces of broken glass, tile, and stone, and these fragments are organized into this artistic expression to make a beautiful portrait or picture, maybe abstract or maybe very technical, so it reflects something that you can clearly identify. I've seen on some of these home renovation shows that people are putting mosaics in the tile of their shower or on the walls of their shower. They're, they're making mosaics in their, their kitchen tile. They're, they're taking all these broken pieces and they're making something beautiful and whole from what is broken. I was curious about mosaics, so I researched. I wanted to find out what's the oldest mosaic we found in the world. We know that they, they, they adorn cathedrals all around the world, uh, but the oldest that we found is in Turkey. I think I've got a picture of people working on the dig site. Uh, 10 feet by 23 feet, some 3,500 years old. It's made up of 3,147 stones that have been chosen and chipped at and put together to make a work of art. But as I was thinking about mosaics, my mind just kind of takes me on these rabbit trails sometimes, as we like to say. And so I was like, what are the most unique mosaics that have ever been made? And I found that people make mosaics out of Legos. And so here, here's a picture of a Lego mosaic of Iron Man. If you're a Marvel person, you can see that there's uh, great detail there. Uh, you can make a mosaic from Legos. You can make a mosaic from sporting cards. There's a famous picture of Michael Jordan that's actually a mosaic where someone took baseball, basketball, and football cards and they paid attention to the shading and all the pictures of these different athletes and together they make the portrait of Michael Jordan. It's a beautiful mosaic. And this might be one of my favorites, the next one. It's a mosaic made from food. Uh, the famous picture of the Beatles uh, walking across the street and you've got rolls, you've got mushrooms, you've got bacon of all things, there's beans. And, and someone took all these different pieces and they made something beautiful. Isn't there something about the idea of broken or fragments, pieces being brought back into something whole that resonates with our hearts? I was captivated by this next picture. It's broken china that was put together to make something beautiful. I actually found that you can go onto Etsy and there are shops that sell boxes of broken china. And you can go to Amazon and you can buy boxes of broken china to take home and to take those pieces and bring them together to make something new and to make something beautiful. To me, China was captivating because in my house, my mom actually had a China cabinet. It was a place where this nice dishware kind of just watched us eat. We never really got to eat off of it, but it kind of just watched us eat. It was, it was used for only special occasions. It was special, had a special purpose. And we knew that important people were coming over, at least people my parents wanted to impress, when she would send us to the china cabinet to get the good china out. And I always found it interesting that her family never got to eat off of the good china, but everyone else did. And so maybe that was your experience. But imagine that something that's set aside for a special purpose, something that has value is broken. Not too long ago in our house, I was reaching for a plate in the cabinet and we actually eat off of our china when we have guests because we have more plates of china than we have of our other plates. And so we had some saucers that were near the plates that I was looking for and I went to grab a plate out and in the process it hit a handle and one of these china teacups fell to the floor and broke 
china given to my wife by her grandmother. Something special that's now broken. But we can take those broken pieces with their sharp edges and their awkward lines and we can put them together and to make something beautiful. And isn't there something about that that resonates with the human heart? I love what I heard this week or I read it this week that uh, mosaics are made of broken pieces, but they're still beautiful works of art. What is it about broken pieces being brought together to make something beautiful that resonates with us? What is it about art in general that somehow if you stare long enough at this exquisite painting or that masterful ink drawing or that pencil sketch or that hand sculpted craft that that if you look at it long enough, like it causes you to ponder and to think things and to maybe even see yourself in the artistic expression. I think we probably resonate with art because our God is an incredible artist. And so what is it about the mosaic and its broken pieces that resonates with us? Could it be that we are so aware of our brokenness and we have a longing to see if those broken pieces can be made into something beautiful again? There's a mirror that you can buy. It's called the Boca do Lobo, Venetian mirror. If it has the word Venetian in it, it's probably expensive. $32,000 will buy you this mirror. It's praised and graded and rated because it supposedly reflects light and images more clearly than any other mirror in the world. And it can be yours for a mere $32,000. But what do we know about mirrors? It doesn't matter how expensive they are, how cheap they are. Every one of us can stand in front of a mirror and we can find our faults, can't we? It doesn't matter how beautiful the mirror is, how crystal clear it is, we can stand in front of the mirror and we can still identify what's wrong with us and what we want to cover up. I think for most human beings, we're well aware of our brokenness. Our brokenness comes in a variety of different, um, uh, and comes from a variety of different things. Brokenness comes from our hardship. Brokenness comes from disappointment. Brokenness comes from job loss. Brokenness comes from tragedy and grief. All things that leave us broken and wondering if pieces can be put back together. Brokenness comes when our bodies don't function as they should. You look at terminal illness and short-term illness. You look at cancers. You look at uh, things like MS and Lou Gehrig's. You look at problems with uh, our systems in our body, reproductive systems and cardiovascular systems and endocrine systems. And, and those things remind us that we are not broken, that we are broken, that we are not whole. I think above and beyond any of these, what reminds us that we are broken is our sin. We know the brokenness that comes from the choices that we make and the things that we say and the things that we do that aren't in keeping with our creator's best for us. We know the shame. We know the guilt. We know what it looks like to try to hide and hope that nobody finds out. And oftentimes those are the things that we see when we look in the mirror things that very seldom have anything to do with what's on the outside, but those broken things within us. And so as I think about the mosaic, that it's made up of broken pieces, but it's still a beautiful work of art, I think it causes us to ask the question, can can my brokenness, 
Can the broken things in me, can my failures, can my sins somehow be reclaimed and repurposed by an artist to make something beautiful? Here's what I hope you see today or that you hear if you're listening to the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, I hope you get this. That our God has a heart for broken, imperfect people. Our God has a heart for broken and imperfect people. In this series, as we look to David, who we're told is a man for God's own heart, we're looking to see what can we learn about the heart of God? I shared with you last week, our goal in looking at David's life is not to say, how can we be like David? It's no, what can we learn through God's interactions with David and David's interactions with God and what David wrote about God? What can we learn about the heart of God? And these first few weeks, we're looking at his heart for humanity. What, is, what, is, what do we learn from David's life that tells about how God feels about you and how, what God feels about me and what God feels about those around us? Last week, we discovered that God has a heart for your heart. God has a heart for your heart. First Samuel 16, verse seven tells us that man looks at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. That place in you where conviction and decisions and, and things are born, your life kind of flows from. God cares about that. He has a heart for your heart. And what we're gonna see today as we journey into his word a bit is that God has a heart for broken and imperfect people. That God works his perfect purpose often through imperfect people like you and like me. If you have your Bibles, uh, find 2 Samuel. We're gonna hang out just for a little bit in 2 Samuel 11. We'll actually revisit this passage in a few weeks and dive in in more detail. But as we think about David, David's life and how we get to know him kind of starts off with a lot of luster. It's this inspiring example. It's kind of a story that would, would make him kind of be a man of the year. Like, like he's, he's this guy that people look to. You know, think about it. It's a great Hollywood storyline. There's a forgotten son who doesn't seem to make the cut to come in from the fields when Samuel, the great prophet, wants to choose the next king of Israel and all of a sudden, the one that's forgotten gets to be the one that gets anointed and, and gets to rise into prominence in Israel. Uh, he, he, he's, a, he's a shepherd, a shepherd that has slayed a bear and a lion with his bare hands protecting his father and his family's sheep. And now he gets to shepherd the people of Israel. It's this great storyline. It starts off so, so great. so much charisma. David has opportunities to kill Saul, and he doesn't. And, and, and he, he's praised by the people around him. We even learn that he has these mighty men that surround him. This is who David is. And it's like this remarkable storyline. And yet early on into his kingship, we see, we see incredible personal failure. In 2 Samuel 11 it all comes to the forefront. In the first few verses, uh, they tell the story of a time in the year, probably because weather permitted um, battles and disputes to be settled. It was a time of year when kings go off to war, and yet we find David, who's a king, hanging out in his palace, and while he's there, he sees a woman. Uh, she's bathing. He thinks she's beautiful. He asks who she is, and his advisors go and find out that her name is Bathsheba, they tell David, this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That may not seem important to you initially, but when we read in scripture that Uriah was one of those mighty men of David, this is a man that had trusted David. David had entrusted Uriah with his life. They were close. It was part of his band of brothers. And so that should have been the clue that Bathsheba was off limits. Never mind the fact that David's already married and he shouldn't be looking at someone else's wife. 
And yet look at verse four in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her as she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. We don't know if this was a uh, mutual adulterous affair. It's possible that Bathsheba had no choice but to go when the king called, which makes the sin even that much more grievous. Regardless of whether this is rape or consensual, it's still sinful failure on David's part. And yet what is David remembered for in Acts chapter 13, verse 22? That he was a man after God's own heart. What do we know from David's story is that God still uses this imperfect man to accomplish his perfect purpose. It doesn't make the sin right. In fact, it's wrong. In fact, David gets called to account for it by Nathan the prophet. Like, like it's a big deal, but yet God still uses him. It doesn't limit God's use of him. But it doesn't end there. David finds out that she is pregnant in the very next verse. Uh, he decides to orchestrate a plan to bring her husband back home from war uh, because maybe when this husband who's been off fighting a war hasn't been able to be with his uh, wife and, and sexual intimacy for a long time, he'll choose when he comes home from battle to, to engage in sexual intimacy with his wife and, and then the pregnancy will be attributed to Uriah and not David. And Uriah is more noble than David here and he will not go and sleep with his wife while his soldiers are at war. So David goes to the next plan, and he orders his head general to withdraw as Uriah is in the thick of the battle so that Uriah will be killed. Basically, uh, he organizes and orchestrates Uriah's murder. Here's how this unfolds, 2 Samuel eleven fifteen through 17. He wrote this letter to Joab. It says, in it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab and the city under siege, had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Again, David remembered some thousand years later as a man for God's own heart, and yet what do we see in his life? He was far from perfect. And we begin to get this hint that, that God has a heart for broken people. That God uses imperfect people in his story. But I think if we're honest, we know that this isn't new. In fact, if you read through the pages of scripture, you see story after story after story where God uses imperfect broken people. We can find many just in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We, we can look at Noah for an example. Noah, who builds this incredible ark, who, who responds in faith to God, and yet in Genesis chapter 9, we find that uh, Noah had trouble saying no to wine one night and got himself drunk, and his kids made a fool of him. We can fast forward to Abraham's life, and we can see a man who followed God faithfully, along with his wife Sarah, out of a land called Ur, and, and, and God is going to bring his people through Abraham's offspring and we think about all the faith of Abraham. Hebrews 11 tells us about all this faith that Abraham had. And yet, what do we see in Abraham's life? There was an occasion where his faith waned. And he's challenged as to who this beautiful woman is that's with him as they travel. 
The ruler of the land says, who is with you? And Abraham can't bring himself to say, it's my wife. He says, no, it's my sister. And so his wife, the king in the land, thinking it's Abraham's sister, takes her to be in his harem. And so his lies not only are a lie, but they cost his wife going to the harem of another king. And yet Abraham is remembered for faith in what he did. You could fast forward and you could see Isaac and you could see Isaac and Rebecca who, who play favorites in their home and you could find their son Jacob who steals a birthright. We could look to one of Jacob's children, Judah. Judah is a famous name. We talk about Jesus being a lion from the tribe of Judah and yet we read this scandalous account in Genesis of Judah who failed to take care of his daughter-in-law as he should. And to provide another husband for her when her husband died. And to get back so she can have offspring, she poses as a prostitute. And Judah actually ends up hiring his own daughter-in-law to be his prostitute. That's gross and scandalous. And yet God still uses Judah as a part of his story. Fast forward to the book of Exodus, Moses Moses is a man who killed a man in anger. He, he's an angry murderer at a point in his life. Moses in anger strikes a rock and complains against God and it prevents him from going to the promised land. And yet Jesus praises Moses as this great prophet. God is in the business of using imperfect people to accomplish his perfect story. We, we can look to Rahab, who was a prostitute is what she was known for when she helps the Spies go and see the land of Canaan to help God's people go in and be victorious. We can look at Samson who struggled with women, David likewise as we just saw, Solomon his son who struggled. And the list goes on and on even in the page of the Old Testament of imperfect broken people, broken fragments and shards of human life that God uses to do something beautiful. And the story doesn't end there. We move into the New Testament and we find a Samaritan woman, a promiscuous woman who becomes a great evangelist in God's story. We find a tax collector named Matthew who becomes a disciple and Zacchaeus the same who follows Jesus. We find a, a man named Peter who is seemingly fearless before Jesus who ends up denying him three times and yet God restores him and uses him. Story after story of broken people that God uses in his story. And we haven't even talked about a man named Saul who was a Pharisee who, who persecuted and even had Christians killed for their faith and yet he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he surrenders his life and God does incredible things through Paul who used to be Saul. All these broken pieces that God takes and he does something beautiful with. And isn't there something about that that resonates with our hearts? Isn't there something about that that tells us that maybe God can do something with our brokenness, with our sin, with our failure? Because if we're honest, it's not just the story that we see in Scripture from beginning to end. It's the story we see in the history of the world. We can name person after person after person who God used, yet they, they knew brokenness and they knew sin and they knew failure. And we don't even need to tell their stories because we all know people that that's true of. I've met people personally who have murdered and yet God is using them 
to make a difference in his story. I've met people who have murdered with words and God uses them to make a difference in his story. I have met people addicted to meth and cocaine and porn and food and God uses them to make a difference in his story. I've met people who have walked out on their families and ruined marriages and yet as they turn back to him, God does something remarkable in their lives. But honestly, I know this not so much because of what I read in scripture and not so much because of the stories that I know of people around me. I know this because I've met me. And when I look in the mirror, I know what I've done and I know what I've thought and I know where I've been and I know a God who continues to extend me grace and use me. Our God is a God who has a heart for broken people. Our God is a God who has a heart for imperfect people. Our God is a God who has a heart for you and a heart for me and a heart for us. And if we will just turn to him, he will use us and he will use our brokenness. That is not to say that there are not consequences for our sinful actions. All of us know the devastating consequences of wrong things that we've done. And it's not to say those always get removed. God uses those sometimes to humble us, to push us towards repentance. And then he uses us even with our flaws and he takes what is broken and he makes it beautiful. One of my favorite expressions for those who know that they're broken that God uses for his glory is the phrase or the term ragamuffin which Brennan Manning coined. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I wanna read you an excerpt from The Ragamuffin Gospel. Perhaps you resonate with some of these words. In the introduction, here's what Brennan writes. He says, the Ragamuffin Gospel was written for the bedraggled, beat up, and burnt out. It's for the sorely burdened who are still shifting the heavy suitcase from one hand to the other. It's for the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it all together and are too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. It's for inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. It's for poor, weak, sinful men and women with hereditary faults and limited talents. It's for earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. It's for the bent and bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. It's for smart people who know they're stupid and honest disciples who admit that they're scallywags. If we're honest, we're all ragamuffins. Maybe more ragged at one point in our life than we are now. Maybe we'll be more ragged than we are now in our future. But as we keep turning to him, he'll use us. If you don't believe this is true, I love what Brennan writes next about Jesus. He says, Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time with people described in the gospels as the poor, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the hungry, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the persecuted, the downtrodden, the captives, those possessed by unclean spirits, all who labor and are heavy burdened, the rabble who know nothing of the law, the crowds, the little ones, the least, the last, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In short, Jesus hung out with ragamuffins. I've met some who like to disagree on this point. The only problem is if you read 
the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus, you know it's true. Jesus didn't come for a perfect world. He came for a world broken by sin. And every one of us is broken by sin. And yet the beauty of the story of Jesus is that he takes those that are broken and as they have faith in him, he takes their shard, he takes their piece, he takes their fragment and he he uses it as a part of this beautiful mosaic that he's making. Yes, mosaics are made of broken pieces, but they are still beautiful works of art. Your life can be a part of his beautiful work of art. And so what we see in 2 Samuel 11, this David who we're told is a man for God's own heart, and yet we see the tremendous brokenness in his life. We can see how God uses him and God takes that broken piece and he says, I'm gonna do something beautiful with it, David. And God will do the same for you. If you are here, if you are watching, if you are a a person who who thinks that you are too far gone, if you've done too much, if someone knew the shame and the sin that you are are a part of, that that God could never use you, you are wrong. Our world, this this term cancel culture is big right now, right? That, That you can do one thing and someone will cancel you as a person or your business or an organization or a product. But guess what? Our God is not a God that believes in cancel culture. He doesn't cancel people, he cancels debt. He cancels sins as we come to him. And he repurposes and he renews and he uses us. Our God has a heart for broken people. Broken people like you and broken people like me. If you don't yet know that God can use you, that he can take all the broken pieces in your life and create something beautiful, I'd encourage you to call out to him call out to him in prayer. Say, God, I need you to show me your real Jesus. I need you to show me that you can use me. If you need someone's help in in, in coming to see how how Jesus died for you, not while you were perfect, but while you were still a sinner, then then, then why don't you come forward to the end of one of our worship experiences? Let us talk with you. Why don't you email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org. Why don't you scan one of the QR codes in our building or fill out a connection card? Let us know how we can help you experience this God whose grace is scandalous, this God whose grace is ridiculous in some ways, this God who loves you and has a purpose for you and specializes in using broken and imperfect people. He has a heart for the broken. He has a heart for you and a heart for me. And if you're already a disciple of Jesus, may you be reminded that God has a heart for you. Here's something tragic that so often happens in our lives as we start to follow Jesus. He he starts to clean us up and we begin to think that we cleaned ourselves up. And as we get a little more clean, we forget what it was like to be broken and dirty. And sometimes we begin to think that his grace can't cover over someone else's multitude of sin like it covered over our own. So what I would encourage you to, to do as a disciple is that you would think about all the things he's rescued you from and all the wrong that he has saved you from. And as you ponder his grace, you see how that grace can be so amazing for so many others. But here's the bigger challenge if you're a disciple of Jesus. God wants us to have a heart like his. So will our heart beat for broken people? Will we choose to be people who pursue the least and the last and the lost? 
Will we be people who make space for, for, for others, not just in this room, but in our lives, who don't yet have it all figured out because neither do we, who, who haven't yet maybe left every sin behind because neither have we, and allow God to do his beautiful work in us to take our broken pieces and their broken pieces and make a beautiful, beautiful mosaic. Mosaics are made of broken pieces, but they're still beautiful works of art. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for your kindness extended in Jesus. God, I thank you that you continue to take me, an imperfect man, and you continue to do your great rescuing work and use me. And I pray that every person listening, everyone in this room, everyone at home watching, that, that they will see that you have a heart for them even in their brokenness. And then there's not a person in this world who is useless. That God, you can take what is broken and make it beautiful. God, would you work and stir in our hearts? It's in your name we pray, in your name we sing. Amen.